This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 7th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Gestational surrogates are a godsend for many couples, but the process has received widespread criticism. Some critics say it's risky or exploitative. Cato's Vanessa Brown Calder examines these criticisms in a new Cato briefing paper. We spoke last week. This may be too much information for listeners. And Vanessa, if this is too much information, you let me know. But you're going to have a baby pretty soon. And so we are furiously trying to squeeze as much productivity out of you before the blessed event of your child's arrival. And before we started recording, we were discussing the various costs associated with giving birth and the whole gestational and childbirth process and how. You know, the the costs are pretty lopsided when it comes to men and women and what their roles are with children. I have three, so I can attest that I feel guilty about how little relatively I have had to do and and frankly, how little I could do to to make a, a baby feel more comfortable or feed them or any number of other things, especially in the in the early stages. And so People are generally pretty cognizant of the difficulties associated with being a parent, especially being a new mom. Yeah, I think that's that is one nice thing is that people generally, if they've had experience, right, then they are sympathetic to the plight of a new mom or pregnant woman. If they've been married to a pregnant woman, if they've been in a relationship with a pregnant woman, if they've had a sibling or good friend who's been pregnant, then they tend to be sympathetic of that experience, which is nice. It's really nice. And yet, uh, as we face problems associated with, uh, well, what, what, what many people characterize as a looming decline in global population and a, a slowing of the population growth in the United States from new people born into the United States, they feel that that is a cause for concern. And can, can you characterize how that discussion kind of goes? Yeah, well, I think, I think particularly on the political right, people have been concerned about fertility decline and the fact that the U.S. is below replacement levels at this point in time. And that's something that People have been looking at a broad range of alternatives to do something about in some cases and have been worried about what can be done from a policy perspective. And otherwise, in fact, uh, Chelsea Follett and I published a paper on fertility decline a few months ago now, um, which covered some some options for parents and for policymakers to make it easier for parents to parent their children, to form the families that they desire. And most of those things are reforming existing regulations to make it easier to actually form the families, have the families, have the children that they desire. So that is certainly part of the discussion here. And so one of those things to get at lowering the overall cost of having children is the cost of the pregnancy and delivery itself. And I don't don't mean financial costs necessarily, but just the, the personal costs that, that women must bear in terms of giving birth. 
Right. Yeah, there is a huge personal cost, definitely an opportunity cost to being pregnant and to delivering a baby and then caring for a baby, especially particularly in the early years when they just require a lot more intensive care. So that's something that it is difficult to offset in any way. And you certainly see when you're looking at outcomes like, for instance, the gender pay gap or, you know, sort of how women on average, we're just talking on average at this point, sometimes scale back hours or, you know, look for workplaces that have greater flexibility in order to make that transition possible because the demands of parenthood are so high. So what do you advocate in this paper? So in this particular paper, this particular paper is on gestational surrogacy. So it's a little bit of a different topic yet. Gestational surrogacy is made possible by reproductive technology. And I should clarify what it, what it even is to begin with. It's by far the most common type of surrogacy. In gestational surrogacy, the gestational carrier or the woman carrying a child is not related to the child. And through in vitro fertilization, you know, in vitro fertilization is used to produce embryos using typically the intended parent's genetic material, possibly donor material. That is in contrast to what people sometimes think of as um, surrogacy, which is genetic surrogacy, which has become quite rare, where the surrogate and the unborn child share genetic material. And again, as reproductive technology is advanced, and because that's a more complicated situation on a variety of different levels, that's something that people tend to steer away from and has become quite uncommon. So in terms of what I advocate for, particularly in this paper, this paper really goes through and it looks at some of the major criticisms of surrogacy, of uh, gestational surrogacy in particular. And it also looks at some of the benefits of surrogacy as well. I think a lot of the conversation about gestational surrogacy has been, at least in the public policy sphere, has focused on various different critiques or concerns that people have. And that's not fair, of course, to the benefits that surrogacy produces. And I think that many of the critiques and criticisms of surrogacy have been overblown, exaggerated, or that they don't line up well with the facts, with the research, the academic research, the medical research on surrogacy and its outcomes. What are the big criticisms? Because it seems like there's probably a criticism related to women being exploited, probably particularly low-income women who uh, engage in surrogacy voluntarily to produce, in a sense, children for other people. Right. That is one of the criticisms of surrogacy. Critics argue that gestational carriers are exploited. That word is sort of, it's sort of hard to know exactly. It's thrown around quite a bit and it's a bit vague. So it's hard to know exactly what people mean, but there's sort of an implication that women are being taken advantage of in some way. What I argue in the paper is that Gestational carriers are not generally exploited. They voluntarily enter into surrogacy contracts. These contracts go through and line up and discuss the various rights and obligations of both the intended parents and the surrogate. From what I've seen in the research, surrogates, when they draft these contracts, nearly all of them have their own legal representation. Um, I think it's also important to note that if surrogates felt that they were being exploited or that they felt that they were being taken advantage of, 
then the experience would likely be a negative one for them. They may have, you know, post-surrogacy regret. They may feel that they don't want to become gestational carriers again in the future. And that's actually the opposite of what the research suggests. You know, it finds that the majority of gestational carriers report actually feeling a greater sense of self-worth and achievement after the process, which in turn generates a sense of, you know, higher, greater self-esteem. When we look at Western countries and we look at research on gestational and genetic surrogates in those countries, it finds that no surrogates expressed regret about their involvement 10 years following the birth of a child. You know, there's a survey of gestational carriers in California, which found that 83% would like to become or consider becoming a gestational carrier again after surrogacy. So these are all indications that from the surrogate standpoint, this is a generally positive experience for them, not one that they feel exploited by and not one that they, you know, regret after the fact. And I think that is an important part of the conversation. What are some of the other criticisms? I can imagine this one seems to be the exploitation is economic. It's potentially ethical. But what are some of the other criticisms that we see and, and how would you categorize them? Well, there are criticisms about the sort of long-term outcomes or the long-term effects for both the women that agree to be gestational carriers and also the children that are produced via this process. So people will say that there are large psychological and medical costs to the women themselves. They even suggest that it is cruel to the children that are produced through this process. So those are a couple of the other major ones. And in my experience, also folks that are critical of gestational surrogacy, they tend to latch on to, you know, particular or controversial stories that you see in the news from time to time, where, for instance, recently, you know, there was a surrogate pregnancy that ended in an early termination, that is an abortion. And they suggest that this happens routinely, or they sort of imply that this happens routinely, or that it happens maybe even more frequently than in the normal, conventionally pregnant population. So that's another criticism as well. What evidence is there for that? Well, I think that that one is particularly off base. Both the logic and data indicate that surrogate pregnancies are substantially less likely to be terminated than conventional pregnancies. Surrogate pregnancies, for a lot of reasons, they are, they're planned rather than being accidental. They're the product of significant time and financial investment. They are typically pre-screened for major medical, chromosomal, or genetic abnormalities that would prompt parents to consider termination. And so for all of those reasons, they're much less likely to be terminated early. And we also at Cato, we did a little survey. You know, we surveyed a bunch of agencies and we asked them or clinics and we asked them, you know, how many gestational carrier pregnancies had resulted in children and how many gestational carrier pregnancies had resulted in an early termination. And we found that it was just significantly, substantially lower than the conventionally pregnant population. I believe about a tenth of, of the overall abortion rate. So 
much, much lower. And that's in line with the logic, what logic would suggest. What about the women or couples who are taking advantage of this? Are there some sort of perhaps underappreciated costs that they take on in choosing not to go through the full process of having a child themselves? Well, I think this is really important. Like, what does the demographic of these intended parents look like? Why do they end up making this choice, gestational surrogacy, to begin with? According to the American Society for Reproductive Medicine guidelines, the reasons why gestational surrogacy should be used or the indications for the use of a gestational carrier include significant challenges, significant fertility challenges. So these are things like absence of a uterus, biologic inability to conceive or bear a child, sometimes unidentified endometrial factors resulting in major and multiple IVF failures. So these are all things which would prevent you from actually getting pregnant, of course, on your own and successfully seeing a pregnancy through. And so parents often come to surrogacy really feeling desperate. This is their last hope. This is their last chance of having a genetically related child. And it's something that, you know, they are willing to put a lot of their own emotional bandwidth, financial resources, et cetera, into in order to make this possible. And there are huge costs to them. So I don't think we talked specifics in terms of a surrogate compensation, but generally surrogate compensation, the personal fee that is paid by the intended parents to the gestational carrier is somewhere between $30,000 and $60,000. That's just the fee for you know their participation, their, the opportunity costs, the foregone you know, activities and the time and expense to them. And it certainly could be above that as well. And then on top of it, the intended parents also cover all the legal costs, the medical treatment costs, you know, the costs of IVF. And so that totals somewhere between one hundred to $200,000. So this is a major investment of people's financial resources and something that is a huge cost to couples that endeavor to go through this. So I think those are a few of the things, um, certainly the stress of the process, trying to find a gestational carrier that you feel comfortable with and going through the various different legal hoops, medical hoops, you know, psychological screenings, which intended parents would also be subject to. Those are all trade-offs. Certainly, if you are looking for the simplest and easiest, I mean, easiest from an upfront starting cause perspective process, then conventional pregnancy is just so much easier on so many different levels. So yeah, so I think that those costs should not be ignored. And it really is true that that couples that get to this point where they're willing to do this, they've been through a lot as a general comment on where they've come from and their experience. They've been through a lot and they're not just making these decisions willy-nilly. It's something that is difficult and continues to be a different. So that can be hard. Vanessa Brown Calder is author of the new Cato Briefing paper, Defending Gestational Surrogacy. We spoke last week. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.